Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I am your host, Harsha Boralesa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. You've got to embrace every opportunity you want. If you really want something, I I truly believe you can make it happen. One of the, the best things I've learned running a company is to understand your weaknesses and get help for those. Being kind, being nice, being easy to get on with for sure goes a long way. So walking this line of being understanding and empathetic as a boss, but also being very clear about what you expect and assertive. A degree of naivety is super healthy in any new venture. Welcome to episode 63 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. Our guest today is Kimberly Godbold. Kimberly is joint MD of executive search and staffing company, Talented People, which specializes in TV production and the creative industries. She produces and hosts the Imposter Club podcast, which gives a fascinating insight into the lives of content makers and welcomes anyone who's ever doubted themselves in their career. Kimberly traveled the world as a self-shooting producer director for popular factual series and documentaries on Channel 4, BBC, ITV and Channel 5 before turning her creativity and influence to the world of headhunting. She enjoys watching copious amounts of catch-up to feed her, her insatiable appetite for great TV. Welcome, Kimberly. Thanks, Harsha. Oh my gosh, it is quite mad, isn't it, when you hear all of your career stuff boiled into about three or four sentences and you sort of feel like you've blinked and 42 (laughs) years have gone by, Uh, but also quite proud of all that. So thanks. Exactly. But and it's funny, that's a comment that most people make on the podcast that they think when they hear back their bio or their career, they think, wow, that's amazing. Is that really me? Did I really do all this? I know because when, when do you honestly sit back and reflect on what you have achieved it's not often, or even if you do, it's the small wins in a moment and then they're gone. They're not yeah. whole years worth of um, achievements. So mm-hmm. no, that's pretty awesome. I'll, I'll come on your show again. If you like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for just in case Lin-Manuel Miranda is out there listening, I, I have a, a reasonable audience in the US. I think we've got to like give it to the universe and say, oh, yes. Lin-Manuel, Kimberly loves you. Tap and- <laughs> me up. I've, I'm I'm sort of nicely stalking his team um, because I want him to guest on my podcast someday soon. And it's, I don't think it's unachievable, Harsha. I also think that you can kind of, you can speak things into existence. So I appreciate your vibes. We're also, we share the creative industry space. <laughs> Clearly he's a lot more successful and famous than me, but I, you know, I've got good reasons for getting him onto my show. So yeah, we will come to that. I'm sure. And actually, that's an interesting point you raised, Kimberly, that I think this whole sort of six degrees of separation, you're actually much closer to people than you realize. And, yeah. and, and sometimes if you don't ask and don't put it out into the world, you, you just never know how close you are to people. No. And, I, and, and actually, I think a lot of these people who achieve great things 
are actually pretty decent and they know the struggle that you know people like us and other people are going through yeah and everybody just wants a break um and not because there's um anything that he can you know well, that we can do for them but yeah i think it's about paying it forward to some extent Completely. And, yeah. like, i think if you don't ask you don't yeah. get and actually i think quite a lot of my team and my peers have always been kind of dumbfounded sometimes by my confidence in just asking because I just think also it's a numbers game the more people you ask in in the nicest possible way with it not being a generic mail out you know you tailor it the more people are likely to say yes and most of the time they just can't do it because of time it's not because they don't want to and all you need is one really good name one really good tip or one really good job (laughs) or whatever it is you're talking about and it works so there's, there's just nothing to lose Cool. So um, I'm a big fan of the arts, or, or, like like you are. So is there a performer, song, book or film which you'd like to share, apart from Lin-Manuel Miranda? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you've got stolen it. You've done that in your intro. No, I was absolutely going to talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda. Well, go ahead. Specifically Hamilton. When it first came out, I heard of it. It's such a generic sort of title. It didn't sound like anything. I, I didn't really get it. And then the sort of the grapevine started heading my way and I thought, okay, I really need to figure out what this is. In the meantime, I went to the cinema with my, I think then six, seven-year-old to see Mary Poppins, the return of the return, the second film, which had Lin-Manuel Miranda in it. And my friend who had already been to see Hamilton and who knew and was a fan of Lin-Manuel turned to me and and went, that's the guy who wrote Hamilton. And I was like, what? And he's playing Dirk. What's his face in, uh, in Mary Poppins? Surely not. What he's the hip hop guy. Uh, I'm like, right, whatever. Mind blowing. Anyway, got um, finally got a ticket to go and see Hamilton. Life was changed from then Ooh. on. So um, absolutely love it. I know you know a lot of you will obviously know and be in awe of it too. I find new things every day, and I listen to the soundtrack nearly every day. But I find new things to be absolutely flummoxed by in terms of the levels of talent clever language music um and then basically that fueled my uh fueled my desire to go and stalk everything that uh Lin-Manuel has ever done and uh, yeah he, he, he would be one of my six at a dinner party as well as one of my many that I would like to come on my podcast so you know just going to keep talking about it and maybe it will happen hopefully we put it out there and see what happens yeah just don't <laughs> ask me to to rap i only do that in 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 the privacy of my own home very loudly but yeah very good so um it's funny i know very little about the tv business but funny enough i was actually interviewed on live on blue peter when i was very young what? And, and, and and for our for our uh, overseas listeners blue peter is or was a very big children's tv program where they did you know interviews and silly things about making toys yeah yeah um and i, I absolutely love that experience um and it's that whole idea of sort of going live but I think when when I when I did that I was probably about 11 or 12 um, and I didn't really think about the idea of it's going live there are like millions of people watching it and Mm -hmm. you know you don't think about screwing up so but I'm I'm sure if I did that now I'd be incredibly nervous you're just Mm -hmm. overthinking things Mm -hmm. and I think with tv or doing anything live or even doing a presentation at work Mm -hmm. sometimes when you overthink things and think about what can go wrong um it's it's quite terrifying I mean what do you think Emily? oh for sure um I've worked on a mix of live programming like the sort of blue peter style but um entertainment shows i did things like big brother oh, wow. which i suppose was was that 
sort of well the live shows were live yeah. obviously <laughs> but the actual you know the recording of people in the house was you know very quick and interactive and sharp but you know it was edited and things like fame academy again which is like a big um, entertainment sort of music show before i moved into more documentary um documentary formats and you'll find in the world of tv you kind of just have to get a foot in the door anywhere and figure out what you want to do and try and steer your way that way you know in in the way that everybody does in their own career but no in terms of the live thing I used to love live because it's so exciting again it's like theatre which as we've already established I love because you only get one shot you have to do it and then it's done and you can't dwell on it again you mentioned a presentation at work there's something really really exciting slash terrifying about preparing for something and then having to deliver and that feeling afterwards when you've done it even if it didn't go completely to plan there's that amazing sort of adrenaline rush isn't there of oh thank god I can go and get a drink I can go and you know just chill on the sofa or at least give myself a pat on the back before I get on with my next thing and you know very much with live tv there's only so much rehearsal and stuff you can do and you have to deal with stuff in the moment which was always really exciting sometimes things went brilliantly sometimes they didn't and you learn every single time and people also forget the last show or forget your last sort of presentation probably until your next thing so you kind of always have a chance to 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 do better I suppose Um, and actually that versus the creative agonizing of making a documentary over many many months there's something really it's good to be said about that because um, although you can hone your art in a documentary and in many ways it's in, you know, it's incredibly satisfying, it's a totally different kettle of fish because you can rewrite, rewrite, rewrite hundreds, thousands of times. You can recut something in the edit so many times. And the only deadline really is you, whoever you're delivering it to, who your client is, whether it's Netflix or Channel 4 or you know NBC or whoever you're making for. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a great point about sort of, you know, when you're going live, you just have to always be prepared for the unexpected. And I suppose beforehand, when you're doing the preparation, it's about thinking, okay, the interview can go this way or that way, and just being prepared, but also sometimes not thinking if, if something does come up, just almost go with your gut instinct. And, you know, hopefully if you have, the more you do it, the more experienced you become. And I think you can that, apply that to the world of, you know, just normal office work. If you're totally. uh, in a meeting and something comes up and yeah. It's actually really personal. It's something that I've learned about myself. Or I'm still learning about myself, actually, when it comes to the way I present myself at work, the way I present a candidate when we're putting them forward, the way yeah. I present on my podcast, actually, I try and I try and work out what's best. I've gone through all the motions, Harsha, of like um, over preparing and then delivering it down to zero preparation and delivering it, and tried to figure out what I'm best at. And actually, yeah. personally, I've learned that I'm kind of better without thinking too hard. Like even for this chat now, I know this is a lovely chat between friends and I've got some things that, you know, I'm sure that you'll ask me about that I can say I haven't prepped because I think I would have made myself too nervous <laughs> and I've started to trust myself more that what I what I know is kind of good enough as long as yeah. I'm completely myself. And obviously you don't want to be caught off guard and if you're doing yeah. a presentation for work, there's a level of prep you're always going to have to do. Yeah. But I, you know, personally, I wouldn't over do it but then other people's brains are wired in a different way and they need to do you know tons more 
I suppose if you're budgeting for uh, or sort of uh, pitching a uh, a TV series, you need to know what the budget is. Yeah, and the numbers. You, you, do. <laughs> you do. You actually do, and and be ready for them to say, "And what happens in part three then? Exactly. Or where's the jeopardy gone once that person's left the contest?" And you're like, "Oh, so no." I, I take my hat off to the developers who do that kind of thing. My job is much easier than that. <laughs> So back to the beginning, I, I believe yeah. that you were interested in working in TV from an early age, but you went down a fairly traditional route of studying French and German at Bristol University, which for our overseas listeners is a very good uh, UK university. I knew from probably nine or 10 that I loved the idea of working in TV. I really liked dancing and singing. I was one of those kids who always wanted to be in shows. Um, and then I watched Blue Peter that you were on one day and I thought, God, I'd love to be that person. The presenters, they get to do such yeah. cool stuff and they get to, you know, jump off cliffs and write reports and, you know, talk about climate change. So, and I found that really exciting. And that always stayed in my head that something around cameras and a studio would be an awesome career. And then when it came to um, work experience at school, so a lot of schools encourage their students to go out and get a job when you're yeah. sort of 16, I did. I wrote loads and loads of letters to because that's how old I am I wrote loads of letters uh to bosses of channels and any contacts I could find anywhere my, my yeah. family are not in the media yeah, so course, they yeah. I had to just crack on as yeah. you do and just figure it out and eventually one person got back to me and said you can come and work have work experience on uh, a chat show called Esther with Esther Rance. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. 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 yeah, Google her if you don't know her. Yeah. She, she was a legend. And that really sort of consolidated how much I wanted to work in TV because I just found it yeah. so incredibly exciting being on a set with cameras. But my parents, being incredibly sensible people, said, um, you should go to university. Yeah, great that you want a career in TV, but you should go to uni and get a degree in case it doesn't work out, yeah. you know. Um, and so I started looking up media studies and then actually, again, sensible parent. Also, I'd like to take some um, some uh, respect for actually listening to them at this age, which you don't <laughs> normally do when you're a teenager. Yeah. With quite a strong idea of what you want to do. I said, actually, it's a good idea to do a subject or subjects that don't relate to the TV industry because actually – you don't need a degree to get into TV. Yeah, course, it's yeah. something that I say to you know our candidates now, and I think we should be really honest that people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, we need them in TV to yeah. be able to reflect the stuff that we're making. So you don't need to go to uni. I just wanted to. And so I ended up doing languages because I liked them, I was good at them, and I kind of thought maybe I could use languages in TV. Maybe I could be an interpreter for the BBC or maybe I could work on A Place in the Sun, uh, which is a you know TV series about buying property abroad so I kind of saw it as no bad thing to do languages and I had a riot at uni brilliant time um worked really hard but also kept getting work experience along the way in tv so I, I I'm lucky I suppose I always knew what I wanted to do and I stuck to that and I kept sort of adding to my cv even during my university degree so that at least when I graduated yeah. I had some stuff there that hopefully took me above other people who were sort of all applying for the same kind of runner positions. So, so would you say your big break was the Esther getting that your sort of foot in the door there or was um, there something later on which helped? Oh, actually, I do have a good story about um, getting a, my first paid work placement. So, again, actually, this goes back to my slight audacity of just saying yes or asking, because if you don't ask, you don't get yeah. right. I was still at Bristol Uni. We went to a rugby match. 
um, a big group of mates of mine and it was being filmed for TV. I think it was Sky Sports. Um, and at, at the beginning of the match, uh, one of the guys wearing headphones and yes. talk back and, you know, having a, a monitor sort of yelled up into the crowd we're down a sound person. Is, would anybody like to hold a boom for like the match? We'll pay you 20 quid. And all my mates turned around and went, oh, God, my nick- I haven't told anyone. So my nickname at uni was Bubble because my mum used to yell, Kimber Bubble. And they thought that was hilarious. So anyway, so they were like, Bubble, she'll do it. Kimberly will do it. And I was like, what, what? Oh, yeah, fine. So I, I clambered over everybody and over the railing at the front. Um, and uh, this guy, I still remember his name, Rich, gave me the big boom, which records sound, um, and said, right, here it is. You need to kind of side gallop up and down the sidelines, point it, because we, you know, they want to be able to hear the kick of the ball, of course, right? yeah, totally. And I thought this was like the absolute best thing that could ever have happened because I'm not even that interested in rugby. <laughs> so there was me chatting to the camera guys and you know, sound people, pretending I was part of the crew, got 20 quid, and then at the end of it, I went up to um, the, the bigger team. Yeah. They thought I was just going to disappear. I went up to the bigger team went, I really want to work in TV. Can I take an email address? Yeah. Has anybody got any other uh, work experience? And from that, I, I kept in touch with um, one of the exec producers and kept badgering him and eventually got a job as a runner on Big Brother. And I mean, right. that is a kind of a very random um, way of saying you've got to embrace every opportunity you want. If you really want something, I, I truly believe you can make it happen with the right approach and the right attitude and right place, right time, of yeah. course. But I could have either said no to that opportunity or yeah. just not done anything about it. So it was amazing. And I'm so grateful for that because then that spiraled on. And the TV industry is its a very freelance industry. Yeah. You don't often get a staff job somewhere for years on end. You go from freelance job to freelance job. Some of them are one day. Some of them are a week. Some are a month, some are a year. And so in order to maintain that sort of network, it's so incredibly important to uh, make a good impression, talk to everybody and keep contact details. Um, and that's how you get your next kind of contract. So yeah, a bit brazen, but it worked. And I've got a great story out of it for you. So Yeah, and, and actually, I think there's so many uh, great points, Kimberly, which come out of that, the whole idea of, you know, you're you're effectively um, your own company almost, and you have to effectively build up these relationships with with other people. And you can equally apply that to the world of work. That you think of yourself as a startup, and you're engaging with with companies, and effectively you're contracting your services to them. And you know, the whole idea of building this network and people know that they can count on you and they can trust you. Because a lot of times, I think people just want. a job to be done to the Mm -hmm. right standard. I mean, clearly, if you can exceed those expectations, that's great. But really, it's about just getting the job done uh, to time, to budget. Um, And I think when you uh, build your network and people know, know, it's like your personal brand, they'll know that Kimberly, she'll get it done. She she can use a boom. And for people who haven't met Kimberly, you're not a like a massive, you're you're quite a diminutive person. So to be running (laughs) up and down (laughs) Rungy Touchline with those Neanderthals. I know I was tired. It's, it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. and actually, that's some that that was some um, some bias I definitely had talking about kind of the way that I look and the the challenges and the hurdles that you face. I I, I moved up through the ranks as a freelancer um, to yeah. a researcher to a producer to a director, um, and by the time I was directing, I was also shooting. So um, there's a role in television called self shooting 
producer slash director, which is actually, when you boil down to it in the olden days, about three jobs. But because of budgets, it ends up being one. So that means I'm literally holding and operating the camera, thinking about the shot that I'm filming and whether it is going to work in the edit, whether it looks nice, as well as thinking of the questions and the content that I need. Um, But I would come, I would turn up on shoots uh, and I I worked on stuff um, as well, like Super Nanny. Oh, that's a big American show that your um, global listeners will know. And Super Nanny was, uh, you know, massive show, massive talent. Um, But I would turn up in the UK version anyway. And it was just me, sometimes with a researcher who was more junior and would help with general stuff. Um, And the contributors, the families that I was filming with would, especially when it was the guys, the dads would go, when's the cameraman turning up? And I'd be getting my camera out, assembling it, just thinking hard about my best retort to that. Um, But generally I was like, yeah, that's me. There are camera women as well. And actually I'm really good at this. So, you know, and I used to get that a lot. I'm the team. I am the team. Exactly. (laughs) So now I used to get that a lot um, because not many women self-shoot or more than ever, which is fantastic, but there are lots of reasons why they don't. And also the the, the sort of traditional gender bias of women do the producing, men do the directing, which is not okay anymore and certainly not right, but is a hangover from the days where women didn't work as much in this sort of industry. Yeah, no, I, I think I think those are great points, and it, it's that whole idea of perception. How do you change people? You know, unfortunately, we all have um, unconscious biases, um, and mm-hmm. you know, to, to to some extent. And it's yeah, you know, how do you get around that? How do you change that? Um, I mean, maybe I suppose with your you know, building your personal brand, uh, you know, you obviously you've created a lot of great content. You know, you post on LinkedIn. So even I suppose now, if people, somebody was to be Kimberly Godbold they would be able to look at all that stuff on yeah. know, on the internet and see, okay, Kimberly's brand is this. We yes. know what we're getting, et cetera, and it's, et cetera. it's something that I advise new entrants uh, to the industry as well as those who are already established but don't have a presence online yep. um, that I really do think you have to work hard at giving uh, generously in terms of content and your personality on platforms like LinkedIn and um, Facebook and Instagram and all those things, you need a presence uh, because if someone wants to look you up and find out about you or if they're, they're wondering about whether to give you a role or not, they they should be able to find something about you that helps them realise that you're the right person. And if they either can't find anything about you or find stuff which is inappropriate, mm-hmm. then you may you may well not, <laughs> not get the job. And yeah. But I also, I think, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy um, having that kind of influence that, um, you know, something that I I feel very privileged in my position of um, talking to brilliant, talented people every single day and hearing nuggets of interesting things every single day. And other people in the industry, as you know, I've said, it's a freelance industry, are sitting at home or at work feeling very alone, thinking, being only inside their head, Yes. Worried that their last, you know, their last uh, contract is their their best yeah. reference. Yeah. So if anything goes wrong, if they say anything, if they stand up to anybody, or you know, if they do something wrong, they're only as good as their last job, and therefore it is a really lonely place to um, to to be in a weirdly social industry. So I feel that 
by posting interesting content or stuff that I've heard or things that I'm brave or I can say because I'm not attached to a company and I'm not involved in politics. Um, I feel like I kind of should do it. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm kind of martyr, but that's ridiculous. (laughs) But I do feel liberated in that I can say, I did a post last week about Edinburgh TV Festival that went that got loads of traction yeah. because people were like, "Thank you for saying that." We can't afford to go there yeah, either. It's exactly. not just freelancers; it's also companies, and it's you know because I'm not worried about getting the sack because I'm my yeah. own boss yeah. with my partner. Um, I I feel like I can say that stuff, and like I say, you know, all the nuggets of information that I hear all day, every day, I feel sort of without breaking any confidences. Obviously, I feel that it's. It's a lovely thing to be able to share what I'm hearing and seeing um, with a wider audience, as well as then people getting a feel for who I am, because I very much write as I talk. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I think that's a really interesting point you make about, you know, people being scared to sometimes say things that you know are obvious, but they're just too scared to say it because there's a career limiting move or there's yes. a risk to their brand or somebody else. But sometimes these things just have to be said. And, and it's interesting, I think, Say um, at work, if you're trying to get promoted or uh, you're trying to get a negotiator raise with your boss, if uh, he, he or she, and it's, I suppose it's the men who are probably worse than the women, um, if they if they think that you have no options and you're the only show, in, they're the only show in town. They'll treat you really badly, and they'll mm. think, "Oh, um, Harsh or Kimberly, they have no options. Yes. They'll just suck it up. We'll give them, you know, whatever the minimum is to keep them, even if you're doing an amazing job." And I think sometimes in life, um, you know, if you can, if you feel you can walk away, and I'm not saying that, like, if you have a mortgage, if you have obligations, mm. you can't just walk out on your job. But I think you should always think, okay, can I like save a little bit of money? Can I have an, a nest egg? Because you sometimes there are situations where. You just can't stay. Uh, um, you know, if if it's really bad, there are illegal or unethical things mm-hmm. going on, and you just don't want to be associated with that. Um, and I think it's it's quite powerful to be able to have the ability to say, "Fine, I'm just no, I'm not like I'm going to quit now and walk out." Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you'd like to do that. Yeah. Sure. But in reality, <laughs> yes. Totally. Like I think, and and also I think human beings are they're like animals in a way. They can sense if you're desperate, and you know if you're not desperate and you can walk. People just treat you so much better. I mean, what what do you think, Kimberly? Yeah, I think having belief in yourself um, and the, a, a certain confidence about you, and making sure that you're not all your eggs are in one basket. Yes, yeah, um, can only be a good thing. So, and by that, I mean making sure that you're kind of you're you're giving generously on LinkedIn or um you know in your career in other ways, whether that's as a mentor or by volunteering somewhere. I mean there are only so many hours in a day, obviously, but by adding value to your own CV, but also to your own self-worth, yeah, that can only be advantageous and do good things because definitely in my industry and I know in others that, that goodwill and networking is going to get you ahead of the game and you know bonus points if it's all genuine and not just you know sales spiel all the time um so no i think having value in your connections in yourself um and therefore being able to have options should something go wrong at work yeah it's, it's very sensible indeed 
And also, I think that whole thing about being nice to people, um, getting people to like you, I, I, you can't force people to like you. But I do think that, um, you know, if you're you're straight with people, you do your job, people will like you. Um, and I think you can build um, pretty decent careers on just the fact that you're a likable person and you'll get things done. And I, I think people shouldn't ever underestimate that. That's a very powerful thing. Yeah, I think being kind, being nice, being easy to get on with for sure yeah. goes a long way. Although <laughs> I was just thinking some people in the TV industry may disagree with that because there are still quite a lot of big egos knocking about <laughs> who can act any way that they like and um, still get hired. But I, I'm, I'm happy to report that, you know, with the sort of work that we're doing and also um, the general state of, you know, uh, humankind calling these things out more. Yeah. I think we're on the on the right side of um, of those personalities and s- slowly sort of phasing them out, or certainly jumping up and down and feeling more um, willing to call people out or to not work for that company again yes. or that person again um, if that's happening. But no, I'm I'm awful being nice. I mean, I th- I think you know there's there's a really interesting book. I'm sure some people have read called Radical Candor. Do you know okay. that book? No, I, I haven't come. I'll, I'll, I'll... Have a look. Yeah. It's radical candor as in being incredibly candid. Yes. And there's this, I'm going to explain it really badly now, so you probably should go and get the book, but I always think of this chart in it that is um, on the one side you've got being um, sort of overly, aggressively honest, yeah. and on the other side is being what, what she calls ruinously empathetic. Yeah, yeah. And the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle because if you are way too empathetic um and um you know let anybody do anything and feel sorry for everybody who has a sick day or needs to do something or you know uh personal circumstances then you probably won't have a successful business because people might walk all over you however if you are too aggressively honest yeah then that is also a a bad thing and you become a you know you get reputation for being a horrible boss so walking this line of being understanding and empathetic as a boss but also being very clear about what you expect and assertive is very important and it's something that certainly i have had to learn since running a business because everybody wants to be nice but if you again you're too is there such a thing as too nice i don't know that's a discussion in itself but you certainly need to know how to lay down your rules or what you need or sell as a business anyway uh, to make that work but i believe you can also do that as a good human being with you know all the right personality um of a nice person too And, and also i think if you're transparent with your staff and and tell them look you know, maybe if uh, income is coming down, we have to cut back on, you know, like going to Edinburgh or uh, Perks yeah. and we have to mm-hmm. just tighten our belts. I think people are more reasonable than you realise. And also I think they're more intelligent about understanding the business and how these things work, especially in a small business. They can see, look, if you don't have loads of candidates coming in or loads of new um opportunities Mm -hmm. then clearly the income is going to go down so we have to think about how can we adapt accordingly um 
Absolutely. Think so? yeah. yeah, yeah. I think being inclusive as well as an employer yeah. is really important. And um, I kind of can't help that because I'm an oversharer anyway. I have to <laughs> I have to sort of hold myself back sometimes <laughs> of saying too much. Um, but no, I, I definitely think that, you know, sharing and involving people also gives them a real loyalty to you oh, totally, um, yeah. and a real respect for their boss. Yes. And, you know, to feel included also means to feel invested in a company and its ethos and its boss. Oh, yeah, no, no, totally. So so what actually inspired you to start your own business, um, Kimberly? Well, it was less of an inspiration and more of a small <laughs> human being pushed out or, <laughs> of my body. Um, so I have, a, I have a love-hate relationship with the fact that I moved out of TV production and into <laughs> talent management because right. I loved directing and, and I'd worked yep. so hard to get yes. to um, the point I was and starting to get really great films to direct. Yes. But I knew I wanted to have a family yes, and yes. I knew that um, I couldn't leave that forever, uh, but I had no idea how it was going to work once I had um, a baby because not only it wasn't just the time out of work, that, yes. that's kind of a given. You can take chunks of time out of a freelance job and it's fine. It was more about how am I going to drop everything and get on a plane to film this documentary yes. or this news piece or this show in Azerbaijan tomorrow and uh, where you don't know how long you're going to be away how yeah. on earth do you work out how to do the childcare surrounding yes. that so I went back after my first child I went back to work in tv still as a development producer which is right. the person that is coming up with ideas yes. for new tv shows um but again I felt really compromised I didn't like the person I was being because I was having to commute in and out of London yes. from Surrey I was um desperate to get back for bath time bedtime yeah. but couldn't quite manage it um and yeah I also felt like I wasn't doing my best I wasn't doing my best work at work yeah. and I wasn't I didn't feel like I was being the best mum I could at home so I felt really compromised and really unhappy even in a job that was more stable and less drop everything and go and film um than it was before so there's a role in our industry called talent managing which is a kind of uh, an in-house HR person to an extent or right, recruiter yeah. in in the production companies itself and I knew a lot of them because I often emailed them or called yes. them up about work as a freelancer saying have you got anything for me so I went to a few of my um sort of go-tos one of which uh, is Rosie Turner um who is now my partner in crime at Talented People and I called her and said Rosie um I'm sort of struggling to say this out loud but I think I want to leave directing and do a more stable, ideally part-time job in talent. And she was like, come in right now. I need to interview. I need to talk to you about this. So I was like, okay. But honestly, I felt really, I kind of felt upset about it because I felt like I was sort of throwing away these years and years of career that I'd built to do something that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. So um, I was really in two minds, but I, I really like Rosie. Um, I was offered a job with her and um, we started working together and thank goodness I never looked back because I loved it so much and what I found was I had I had a skill set uh, from directing and from having come up yeah. through the ranks as well in lots of different jobs that really lent itself to engaging with the people that we were trying to find work for and understanding their job I understood the jobs I was recruiting for because I had done them yes. and that felt like the absolute best scenario so I was able to geek out about what kind of camera the person used because I had used that camera I was able to talk about casting a series because I had done it myself and equally 
when I was kind of selling the shortlist to uh, the in-house hiring manager or executive producers, we would probably call them, then I could I could do a really good pitch. Yes. And I just felt, although it wasn't picking up a camera and creating content that made me happy, it was it was a different kind of happy, a different kind of satisfaction, feeling like I'm really good at something else and I haven't lost all of my skill set. And I get to work Monday to Wednesday and go home and have two days with my child, which was like the absolute best case scenario. So I was really thrilled to have found that career that, if, although I was doubtful about it, actually didn't feel like a downstep or even a compromise in the end. It felt like a new career in the same industry for me. And that's and that's really interesting. Interesting, you made that point because it's almost as if, um, you know, like a lot of women, when you've had your your child, you feel torn in two directions. You've got your career, and you know you're trying to um, you know get to the the zenith of that. But then also you have your children, and you want to spend time with them. And it's almost like this no win scenario, and and you yeah. feel terrible as if you're yeah. not, as you were saying, you're not. Um, doing well at, e- at either, at either um, thing exactly. what are your thoughts yeah I found my feet in that job with Rosie but we were being employed by a company yes, um, yes. and although it was ticking my yes I can get home um, for, for bath time and I get a couple yep. of days off in the week with um, with Max and I was being you know relatively creatively satisfied there was yes. still an itch for me because yeah. I was so used to creating content and really I, I guess kind of I've come to realize I think I, I like the hustle I didn't yes. realize that's what I was doing as a director but in a way you're kind of hustling for the best soundbite for the best story <laughs> for you know albeit, albeit you're putting a you know you're being a chameleon to work with people and make them feel comfortable and I never really yes. did very super glossy shows when I was directing it was much more subtle documentary but you're still trying to get to a, a point um and kind of win at something or have the best at something and yeah. then also trying to find your next contract was a bit like hustling as well because yes. you're being your own kind of brand spokesperson so that was still missing for me so Rosie and I chatted over the years and I ended up having my second child while I was still employed at um, that original company and then we spotted a niche in the market which was not every not every TV company can afford to have this yeah. role, this talent manager role in-house. There are lots of small to medium-sized companies that just kind of find their own people when they get a big commission. Um, and that's that's really sad because we've got all this skill set and we know all these people and we're really well-versed in diversity and inclusion. And, you know, we can help them be more responsible than just pick up the phone to um, yeah, the to last friends. person they work with, yeah. to their friends. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we should be helping them. So we... We we um we sort of swallowed hard, left the job. I left the job. Rosie had left a bit before me, and um, set up the company. And we never looked back. I mean, when I think now, if I the other day someone said to me, "Oh wow, you know, you've been running six years now. What you know, what have you learned?" I was like, "Well, how long have you got?" But if I think now, would I have set up the company if I knew everything about what involves what is involved yeah. in running a company and what we were going to face in terms of a pandemic and um and the current industry situation which is pretty pretty dire at the moment would i have set up a company and i'm thinking i may not have i actually might not have but that's a good thing right and i would say this to anybody even considering doing something to for themselves by themselves is again don't overthink it you know you obviously need to have a certain level of skill set and a level of confidence but if you overthink 
then you probably won't do it. And actually a level, a degree of naivety is super healthy um, in any new venture and, you know, being willing to make mistakes and learn from them, you know, realizing you're not going to know everything and you have to figure it out is perfectly okay and acceptable. And it makes you who you are. And actually, if you share it, if you're human about it, it makes you inherently likable, I think. And we've certainly been there and it's been a rough ride over the last few years, but we've also had such incredible moments and we're really, really proud of what we've done and what we continue to do. But who knows what the next sort of five to 10 years is going to hold. But I'm just so, so glad that we took that punt and slightly naively walked into this world of running a business as two working mums juggling everything um, whilst, you know, trying to make some money to um to 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 pay the mortgage feed your family <laughs> and feed everyone exactly. there's a lot of spaghetti hoops that need to be exactly. uh, need to be bought in the supermarket exactly but yeah no I, I think i think that whole point about sort of ignorance is such a is such a great point because before starting the podcast i had no clue about any of the mechanics and it was only by no. actually appearing on a podcast with a friend and he was showing me how to do it the editing is not as complicated as you think it is and actually, you know, it's simply just a chat between friends and hopefully making that person feel comfortable. The main thread of my entire career has been about people. I like talking to people. I I, I like stories and getting people yeah. to tell their stories has been what I've always done from, you know, being annoying at university and wanting to find out everything of that other person and, you know, yeah. working out how I, how I connect with them um, and then going into TV and, and drawing out a story of a contributor who's either nervous or, you know, we've convinced to come on a program to do something really yeah. important that is hard for them to tell the story, but the right thing yeah. and an amazing thing to do for a wider audience, making them feel comfortable, but yeah, getting what you need from them. And, um, and then people, again, moving into uh, my career as a, a, as a talent manager, you know, finding people and matching people to jobs is um is something that i love doing and that sense of satisfaction when uh, especially for a headhunt for a permanent role when you know it's a huge process and a huge it's something so important for a company if they're going to invest a year or a permanent salary in somebody they have they have to be the right fit because they're also yes. paying a recruitment fee so yeah. you know it's time it's money and if you get it wrong it's really costly so i absolutely love I love it when we get amazing feedback from having placed somebody um, in a role uh, and both parties are happy. Yeah. And, you know, we, so, so, so people and making people happy and story seems to thread everything together for me. So I feel like as long as I'm doing something with all of those sort of boxes ticked, then I'll be happy. Oh, and add a little bit of like being terrified about new things because for some reason I like I like doing that to myself too. Like you in the podcast, <laughs> I feel like once I get into a groove with something at work, there's this little itch again, and I'm like, what should I do now that's new and scary? I think should I just sit down and enjoy it and just you know, bump along like some other people? No, I need to do something challenging. Oh. Yeah, I suppose you're you're in quite an interesting position because you're seeing a lot of candidates, you're seeing their to, yeah, their positives and their negatives. What are the things that you're looking for as a talent manager? In terms of, of CVs and sort of the actual logistics of a CV, it has to be incredibly clear. It has to be um, not very wordy. Uh, um, again, I think it'd be interesting to see what the sort of the international audience think, but certainly in the UK, 
you don't actually want too much of a hard sales pitch about the person at the top. I mean, a couple of sentences, fine about who you are and what you do. But then in terms of, you know, our sort of style of CV, you want to know what they've done. And actually yes, not yeah. what, not just what they've done, but what was involved in the, in the role. Yes. I think some, quite a lot of people fall into the trap um, of just putting the job title and the thing that they, uh, and the company they worked at and the years yes. And um, and in our industry, just the title of the TV program, and that's not enough. Or it might be a title, Super Nanny, a show where an expert Joe Frost, um, you know, helps parents with their problematic children. It's yeah. like, well, that's I know what the show is. What did you do? What on did it? you do? Yeah. So I think it's trying to find on a CV. You want to very succinctly get a feel of the person um, and and what sort of level they're operating at. And then what they have done, what value they have added in every role that they've done. And again, I try to get people to be very tangible about the figures or the numbers or the things, because it's all very well saying, you know, oh, I you know, spoke to some people and found them for this program, or I, um, I had to lead a team, a really big team, um, and we had to deliver X, Y, Z. Well, how many people are in the team? Yeah. How tight did you have to deliver that project? Actually, being being as 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 specific as you can on your CV is a really good thing. Um, but also personally, I mean, you probably get this from my chat. I really like a bit of personality. Yeah. I don't mean big jazz hands on a CV, and I don't <laughs> mean big colourful logos. And some people put up, some people put a big picture of themselves on all the different TV channels. I'm not a fan of that. I think yeah. it needs to be clean, neat, a little bit of colour, fine. Maybe with some sort of you know dark blue lines or like some dates in a different colour. But nothing too fancy. But personality, I think you can bring in in the way that you've written it. So I think you can you can be fairly informal actually on your CV, uh, or like the way that you write a sentence. I think is quite telling about the yes. person. Um, and there's waves of injecting a little bit of humour or a little bit of um, something a bit different. And actually, I also really like, and this is totally personal. Uh, and not everybody wants to talk about it, but I do want to know if you come from a different ethnic background or if you uh, are disabled or yeah. if you have something about you um, or you're from a low socioeconomic background or something which kind of genuinely um, affects the way you see the world yeah. compared to someone else. Um, not just for the sake of DEI and thinking yeah. you might get an interview for it, but by saying, you know, I'm from a, a huge family with a Sri Lankan origin and, you know, we get together every Friday and have huge family meals. I mean, I'd love to read stuff like that on a CV. I mean, clearly your CV doesn't need to be all about that stuff. And the most important thing is your work history. But I definitely like a flavor of that because it makes me, it makes me interested in you as a person rather than just, okay, this CV versus this CV, pff, they're all, they're all qualified. Yeah. What else? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. It's 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 almost like looking at yourself and thinking, okay, what is it that makes me unique? What is it that makes me different? And I think for a, a good employer, they're actually looking for different voices in the room, whereas probably 20 years ago, they were saying, okay, we want Oxbridge people or you know, yeah. from these big universities, and they've got to be a particular type, maybe more men than women. Uh, you know, the usual spiel. But, you know, nowadays, I suppose things are, are changing and you need to have different voices in the room well, it's, you've it's, got to think about your audience as well. It's vital for the TV industry for certain and that, that everybody needs to do better because the stuff that we are making has to reflect the people who are watching it. Yeah. Otherwise it makes absolutely no sense and also is incredibly patronizing. I mean, imagine a whole 
room full of uh, middle-aged white men who all went to Oxford or Cambridge, you know, brainstorming ideas yeah. um, for um, the period of Ramadan. You know, yeah. that yeah. makes no sense. Like, yeah. why would that, why, you know, yeah. that's, that would be a terrible mm-hmm. idea and would produce terrible results. And thankfully, you know, with a lot of hard work and constant talking about it and, you know, peers and colleagues of mine do loads as well, but, you know, we are getting better at that. The, in- the industry is getting better at that. Um, but it's hard because everybody wants to work with someone that they trust and that they know. Yeah. And there's an element of risk of a well, big element of risk aversion. Yeah. But, you know, thankfully, more than ever, you know, we're getting people from all kinds of backgrounds in the room um, and who are being listened to and heard and having influence on the content that you see on TV. Yeah, because I think if you're just doing the same thing the whole time, you're just going to get a very stale product. So I think it's almost like a a career enhancing move to be getting these different voices in Absolutely. And, and not just in a sort of tokenistic way, but yeah. actually when they have real input into uh, the, the development and the production and all that yeah. sort of stuff, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Absolutely. And there are some broadcasters out there who we're working with who have really got that now and that, you know, unless they have people in the room who are not not junior either, you know, because yeah. there are there's never enough, but there yes. are quite a lot of initiatives for people at grassroots level. Yeah. It's the mid to senior level talent that is vital in playing an influential part of uh, any sort of film or TV production. And that's going to genuinely bring something to the table that somebody else may not have, you know, whether that's the way something looks or the, a contributor that they know or yes. something from their culture that affects the way they write something or, or do something it is, it is totally key. And if you're not doing it um, as a hiring manager, if you're listening, then you are totally behind the curve and also massively missing out on a rich, happy team, but not just that, and a, a much better end product with more okay. voices um, contained. Yeah, no, I, I just love that. And I'm just looking at the time. We, we haven't even discussed like half the things I wanted to talk about. <laughs> But but that's cool. That's cool. You skip yeah, ahead wherever you want to go. Yeah, just yeah. ask away. But but I, I suppose what, what I what I did want to give you the opportunity to talk about was your wonderful podcast, and ah. that seems to be done incredibly well. You know, obviously on Apple Career Podcasts and various top charts. So do you just want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? And um, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, um, how it's gone. Obviously, it's not as good as your podcast, Sasha. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's thank not you. true. Um, no, it's it's done really well. Um, it's called the Imposter Club, and my thinking behind it was that certainly in the creative industry, and I'm sure in many other industries, we we get to a point where we think, "Are we going to be found out at some point?" Yes. I feel like a total fraud. How have I got here? Or I don't know what I'm doing. How does everybody else know what they're doing? And I don't know. And no one's found me out yet. That's the kind of premise of actually none of us know what we're doing. Or there are certainly elements of um, our career where we do know what we're doing. But actually there are you know some parts that we really don't. And, but we're scared to ask for help. Yes. And um, so the Imposter Club is a, it's a warm community and podcast um, of people who work predominantly in film and tv at the moment but we're you know we're going to look at a future series in other industries where super successful people come on and chat to me about the times that they have failed the times where they have felt like a fraud 
the times where they have experienced imposter syndrome and how they handled that and what that has done uh, to shape their career um, in the hope that anyone listening who has felt the same can listen to somebody that they know and respect in the industry and go, oh, thank God, it's not just me. And also learn something to take into their own uh, careers um, in, in TV and film. So no, just like you, it's a it's a fun chat where, you know, we, I, I get to kind of pick the brains of people that I respect from my career and talk to them on a level because we're, you know, we're in the same industry. Um, and give them the opportunity to go, I know I run a channel or I know I run a company or I know I've won a BAFTA for this thing I directed, but dot, dot, dot. And there's something really exciting about that. And it feels, I don't know, it feels like you sort of, you, you, people don't have, freelancers in my industry don't have access to people like that, like yeah. I do on a day-to-day basis. So again, it's part of me feeling like I want to give back a bit and share the stuff that I hear with some very lonely people who are just trying to make ends meet and be as creative and successful as they possibly can in their own careers. Yeah, no, and I think that's a great premise. Yeah, and there's so many good points there because I think if you can sort of you know, look behind the curtain and see um, you know, people who yeah, you admire and actually they have the same neuroses and worries um is this my last job you know do people still care do they like me um so i think it's really interesting it's that whole reframing the process and saying Mm -hmm. to yourself look actually look at the things that you have done and sometimes you almost have to uh, be kind to yourself and look at your achievements and almost be slightly megalomaniacal and say look I can't yeah. be a complete idiot if, you know, I you know, like yourself, you've directed this stuff, you've produced this stuff yeah. and it's there. You know, it's not as if it's um, some nebulous yes. thing. These are actual exactly. real TV programs. Yeah. yeah. And let me tell you, running a business all my life that, I mean, I, I honestly don't think anyone knows what they're doing when they're running a business to, yeah. to a degree. Mm. I mean, it's certainly the stuff that you do for the first time is like, you know, I remember looking at Rosie and going, so what we've we've got to find some legal t's and c's about for our first contract with a client right um and then you know you can't afford a lawyer so you're using these templates and you're having to switch your brain into something you know that's not your usual um area and go okay well as long as you know we're protected to a degree maybe this is okay and then you're sending or sending your first invoice as an md of a company you know i i mean i i don't mind admitting this stuff because i just think people people put on a a real front and pretend that they know what they're doing they really don't. I remember sending my first invoice almost like, oh, please pay it. You know, are you definitely going to pay it for the stuff that we, we did do loads of great work for you? Exactly. Is that okay? Is it okay if we charge you? You know, is it okay? Is my template okay? Does it look pretty? You know, and there's just been so many pinch me moments where I've gone, I can't believe that person just took me seriously. Yeah. And, and again, this is it's silly because I know I'm good at what I do. Yeah. I know that I can do what I'm saying I can do, but that sort of sort of, imposter monster as we've taken to calling him or her is there going do you are they really going to believe you or are you really good enough to do this and to a degree it's healthy because it keeps you in check right and that's what a lot of my guests on the podcast tend to say but you have to kind of push through it and go no it is fine this is just a bit fly by the seat of your pants and if you make a mistake, you'd be honest about it and figure it out later. And all these things add up to fantastic experience that makes you more knowledgeable in the long run about what you're doing. But I refuse to agree that anyone setting up their own business doesn't feel like an imposter at, at various points. 
there are always going to be things that you don't know because in a way as um an md you cannot be an expert at everything um and i suppose no. that the real skill there is realizing okay what are the real risks? Um, you know, if we do this, is the company going to go bankrupt? Yes. And I think that's the real skill, isn't it? Just thinking, okay, where you really do need that um, advice or somebody else, or even just talking about it to somebody else. Because yeah. I think if you keep it in your head, um, it, it always gets worse. Whereas if you actually talk yeah. to somebody about it, um, I mean, what, what do you think, Emily? Definitely. Um, and one of the, the best things I've learned running a company is to understand your weaknesses and get help for those or the things that you really don't enjoy and therefore you drag your feet on and then it doesn't get done if you can afford to outsource that stuff then you should identify it as soon as you can and then do it leaving you time for the stuff that you love which is going to show in your end product um, and the stuff that you're genuinely really good at where you should be spending your time uh, it's been so much fun having you on the show. Um, I could we could keep chatting for hours. I know. <laughs> but, but one thing I, I'd like to offer my guests um, is: is there anybody you'd like to thank who's helped in, you in your career? Would you like to give a shout out to anybody out there? That's so nice. Is this like a BAFTA speech where I stand up? And no, no, just 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 Would one like or two. To thank... Just just one or two. <laughs> oh, so I can't reel them all off. I think I'm going to say my mum. She always steered me in the right way when I so easily could have just gone and tried to get into telly without any sort of academics she made me do that and that was a good thing um and she's always been there and who else my partner Rosie at work we've got the best working relationship she actually lives in Australia which is about as extreme as flexible working as you can get um because we both work UK hours kind of but yeah we have each other's backs we know when we know what we're both good at now we totally respect each other and um, we also have lots of fun. And I, there's no way on earth I would have set up this business without Rosie. So, yeah, I'll thank her. Yeah, no, cool. And, yeah, shout out to all the mothers out there, including mine and my father as well. <laughs> all the working mums out there. It, it, it's, you're, exactly. You're doing exactly. an amazing <laughs> job. And don't beat yourself up is what I would say. Don't beat yourself up about it. But sat, stand back and think about what you can control and try and do more of that. But, um, yeah, it's a tough gig. But we are we are awesome. Fantastic. Well, um, Kimberly, thank thank you, you know, once again for all your time. It's been so much fun. Uh, yeah, you en- too. Thank enjoy- you for having me on. No, enjoy the the rest of your weekend. Hopefully, your kids are not going to come back and <laughs> cause chaos. No, that's a, that's a given. It's not. <laughs> hopefully, they won't. It just definitely will happen. <laughs> Very good. All right, take take care, Kimberly. And Thanks, Sasha. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers, and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.